Welcome to Obesity, a Disease, the official Obesity Medicine Association podcast exploring the many facets of the disease of obesity. In this episode, we'll be hearing from Obesity Medicine Specialist and OMA Clinical Education Director, Dr. Nicholas Pennings. Joining him is Dr. Justin Taunt, MD. Dr. Taunt is one of the authors of The Obesity Algorithm and was a presenter at the 2021 OMA Fall Obesity Summit. Today, our speakers discuss the strengths and limitations of the satiety index. Obesity, a Disease podcast is brought to you by the Obesity Medicine Association, a clinical leader in obesity medicine. Eat less, exercise more. Or in North Carolina, the expression is eat smart, move more. Either way, the emphasis here is on calories in and calories out. What is fundamentally flawed in that thinking is that all calories are the same, that calories from fat, from protein, and from carbohydrates are just calories and all we need to do is eat less of them. The physiologic and metabolic effects of fats, protein, and carbohydrates are not all the same, nor is the effect of different combinations of those macronutrients. When the body is in a negative caloric balance, the physiologic response is to increase hunger signals and decrease satiety signals. Different macronutrients and different combinations of macronutrients will have variable effects on hunger and satiety, with certain foods more likely to produce satiation and or satiety. Hi, I'm Dr. Nick Pennings, Chair of Family Medicine, Campbell University School of Osteopathic Medicine, and Executive Director of Clinical Education at the Obesity Medicine Association. With me today is Justin Tan, MD. Dr. Tan is an assistant professor in the Department of Family and Community Medicine at Eastern Virginia Medical School. He's one of the authors of The Obesity Algorithm and a presenter at the 2021 OMA Fall Obesity Summit. His presentation was titled The Satiety Index in Dieting. Welcome, Dr. Tan. All right, there are a lot of different terms used in the discussion of appetite regulation. Hunger, satiety, satiation, cravings, and desire to eat are just some of the commonly used terms. In your talk, you focus on the difference between satiety and satiation. What is the difference between those two terms, and why is it important to make a a distinction? Right. So satiation is the feeling of fullness that causes someone to uh, finish a meal, whereas satiety is the feeling of fullness that lasts from when a meal ends until the next meal begins. Uh, I'd say the difference between these is important in a research setting so we can uh, better identify and learn about the different mechanisms involved. Um, However, in real life, these often blur together and our goal is uh, usually just simply to minimize hunger. And when you're talking to patients or doing a history, do you focus on some people seem not to be full while they're eating, they just kind of keep going. And then some people get hungry earlier. Do you try to make that distinction in clinical practice? Sometimes it can be useful. Uh, As I said, often they blur together, but um, there are some uh, distinctions that you can make. So, you know, sometimes uh, beverages, they they can provide uh, a good amount of satiation, make you feel uh, full pretty quick, but then they don't last very long. Um, so that could be one area, and another could be um, you know, more uh, protein-based foods often have a better satiety and last. Tell us more about the satiety index. How long has it been around, and how is the satiety index determined? Sure. The satiety index was first published by Holt in 1995, so it's been around for a little over 25 years now. Uh, the research team 
um, studied participants by putting together uh, uh, portions of 240 uh, calorie uh, portions of food, and then they would measure uh, appetite ratings um, every 15 minutes after giving the food on a standardized uh, appetite rating scale. And so that's how it was determined, uh, the, the measurements, and then they would add up the area under the curve for those appetite score scores and um, divide that by the same area under the curve for the reference food, which was white bread, uh, similar to the glycemic index, and all multiplied by 100, just like the glycemic index. Overall, they tested about 38 foods. And so this is based then on different uh, people's perceptions of feeling full and how quickly they felt full or how long they felt full. Yeah, so this was based off of their perception, um, how they filled out their appetite rating on a, a scale over every 15 minutes over two hours. So it's um, th their feelings of fullness. Do you know, is there wide variability in satiety response and satiety index on an individual basis where some foods more likely to create satiety in certain individuals, but not others? That's an interesting question. I have not seen any research that, that on that that I'm aware of. I don't think that would be the case. When I first heard about the satiety index, my first thought was that it would be similar, but inversely related to the glycemic index. My rationale was that if food had a high glycemic index, meaning it was quickly converted to glucose, it would have a low satiety effect as that glucose would be quickly disposed into tissues, leaving the body looking for more calories. In your presentation, you listed some foods like oranges and potatoes as high on the satiety index, but they're also high on the glycemic index. What enables those foods that are known to convert to glucose fairly quickly produce a high level of satiety? And so as I talked about in my talk, there's many factors that play into satiety, but I think the largest one at play here is probably energy density. So uh, the idea is that the stomach has stretch receptors, uh, which transmit a, a signal through the vagus nerve to the brain to give a, a feeling of fullness. So if you have a given number of calories, as in the, the satiety index, your set portion of calories, foods that have a bigger uh, volume or mass those calories are able to stretch out the uh, stomach more and provide a greater uh, signal to the brain of, of fullness. There's also some evidence for and against the glycemic uh, index and glycemic load playing a role. Um, overall, the evidence on that isn't that strong, so I'm not convinced that's playing a role. Yes, and, and so that kind of speaks to the concept of volumetrics, right, where the volume of the food is going to create a certain level of satiety independent of its calorie content, right? So a large volume, small calories is going to create more of a satiety effect, in, and that's what you think is contributing to the satiety index of those foods? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the idea of what volumetrics is based off of, like you're saying, and um, it, you know, definitely energy density and the volume of foods definitely plays a role, um, just not the only role in satiety. Like many things, there's multiple variables that influence, especially in obesity medicine, right? Yeah. Many over-the-counter dietary supplements include caffeine, presumably to increase calorie burn. What are the effects of caffeine on appetite and metabolism? Uh, as caffeine is a stimulant, I would expect it to acutely decrease appetite and lead to weight loss, similar to other stimulants. Uh, and to some extent, the research data 
does support that, but people tend to compensate by eating more food later in the day if they have you know, coffee in the morning. And uh, people often develop a tolerance to caffeine's effects. So overall, it, it doesn't really seem to play a large role in uh, decreasing appetite and weight loss, uh, at least compared to other stimulants. As for the metabolism, a high dose of caffeine can uh, lead to a small increase in fat oxidation, uh, but the significance of that is kind of questionable because if you're not uh, burning more calories or more fat than you're expending, you're just kind of shifting where your uh, energy is coming from. So you may be uh, oxidizing more fat and less glucose. Okay. So water is commonly recommended as part of a healthy lifestyle change. Does water have any impact on appetite? And in particular, if you're having water with a meal, is it better to drink water before you eat, during your meal, after your meal, in between meals? I'd say water's pretty important. Uh, drinking water has a relatively small impact on appetite because in general, beverages um, don't really have a, a good effect on um, suppressing appetite. You know, as I mentioned before, they can kind of make you feel uh, full pretty quickly because they stretch out the stomach, but the effect doesn't last very long because they um, have a pretty fast motility through the system. But I would still say drinking water is beneficial in terms that it has uh, no calories in it. Um, so if you look at like satiety per note, the number of calories, uh, that is a pretty large ratio because there are no calories in it. I'd say the more important part of water though is actually eating foods that have water in it. That goes back to um, the energy density that we were talking about before. That's probably the largest factor of what makes um, a decreased energy density. Um, but in either case, um, when to have the water, it would be good at any time in meal, but the earlier the better. So uh, you can kind of get more of that stretching in the stomach um, and feel fuller early on. And then, um, so you don't eat as much over the whole course of the meal. Yeah. So, so that high water content foods tend to then again, have a lower calorie content and, and expand that stomach and promote satiety by that mechanism. I've also heard that thirst can be perceived as hunger. Uh, and so that quenching thirst can sometimes lessen hunger or that there may be some confusion around that. Have you ever seen anything with respect to that? Yeah, that can happen. I'd say as long as you're hydrated, um, you should be uh, okay with that because you don't necessarily have to drink the water. Like if you have a whole bunch of water in your foods, you still may be hydrated, mm -hmm. uh, if that makes sense. So there's a humorous saying, I love cooking with wine. Sometimes I even add it to the food. Cocktails before meals are a common occurrence for many. What is the effect of alcohol on appetite and on food choices? That's a great question. Uh, in research settings, uh, alcohol as a, a macronutrient is about as satiating as carbohydrates and fats. Um, but in a real world setting, you know, alcohol is usually not very satiating. Uh, as I mentioned before, it's usually as a beverage, but as you said, it could be uh, used in cooking too. Um, but I'd say the other main part is that it causes disinhibition. So people are more likely to make uh, bad food choices or overeat. And, you know, speaking in particular to people that are trying to lose weight, if uh, 
you only have a certain amount of calories. I know we talked before about, you know, it's not all in, all about calories in, calories out, but you still have a limited amount of stuff you can have in a day. Um, and it doesn't provide, alcohol doesn't provide a lot of uh, micronutrients, vitamins and minerals. So it may not be the best way to um, get your total. And it often comes with a lot of calories as well with uh, certain drinks that may be high in sugar and, um, and uh, in, in particular in sugar. What about exercise? What effect does exercise have on satiety? And does it differ according to the type, intensity, or duration? Exercise is a bit complicated. There's good evidence that it acutely decreases appetite and increases satiety. However, over the long term, uh, at least several weeks or longer than that, um, people tend to compensate for uh, this. The exact reason why uh, isn't known, but it may be related to uh, non-exercise activity thermogenesis, uh, particularly with people that are doing aerobic exercise, they may just uh, uh, has, having may have less spontaneous movement throughout the rest of the day, kind of compensating uh, for the activity that they did voluntarily. But in terms of intensity, higher intensity, so things like strength training usually are better at suppressing appetite uh, than lower intensity things like uh, you know endurance training or walking. And higher intensity things also generally have less compensation than lower intensity activities. But the flip side is longer duration is also more uh, better for appetite as well. Um, partially because there's a, a psychological component to appetite. So if you're you know, sitting around and get bored, you may be get hungry and want to eat. Whereas if you're walking or keeping busy all day, um, you're just not thinking about eating. One of the things that people don't recognize is how easy it is to eat the calories you just burned when you're exercising. That uh, uh, an extra helping at uh, dinner time or couple of cupcakes or something like that can can counter uh, an hour workout if you're that you tend to perceive that you're burning a lot more calories and you feel justified maybe in eating something uh, that would could offset all that calorie burn. Yeah, definitely. I mean, in an hour workout, like you're saying, you may burn like 100 to 300 calories. Yeah, right. Like you said, a, a cupcake is <laughs> not a whole lot. And when people look at the uh, exercise equipment at like a gym, if you look at the ellipticals or trail nose or something, they usually tell you um, more calories than you would be burning just from the exercise because they include the basal metabol metabolism at calories as well. So uh, you would have been burning those calories regardless. So I wasn't aware of that. So that, that they're including your basal metabolic rate, uh, resting metabolic rate, plus your activity rate. That's interesting. So lastly, when discussing obesity treatment with your patients, what's your favorite bit of advice? I often find that patients feel defeated. So uh, my favorite piece of advice is for them to not blame themselves. Uh, like you said before, people have often been told uh, to eat less and that's not sustainable in the long term. Um, because uh, hunger increases. So I think, you know, trying to help people cope with uh, strategies to eat more satiating foods or what's better.
Well, thank you very much for joining us today for this podcast to hear Dr. Tant's presentation. You can find it in the OMA Academy. It is the Satiety Index in Dieting. Uh, thank you for being with us today and thank you for your insights. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Obesity, a Disease. For more information about obesity medicine podcasts and other valuable resources from the clinical leaders in obesity medicine, please visit www.obesitymedicine.org backslash podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode and want to listen regularly, head over to iTunes where you can subscribe, rate, and leave us a much appreciated review. The views expressed in this episode are those of the host and guest and do not necessarily represent the opinions, beliefs, or policies of the Obesity Medicine Association or its members. Please join us again for our next episode of Obesity, a Disease.